Well, it is good to be with you this morning, and uh, kind of interesting, last week when I was at Angola Prison, I had been teaching on Tuesday, and the inmate pastor, Freddie, said, uh, what do you know about the Sabbath day? And I said, it's kind of funny, because in a couple weeks I'm going to be in praise and worship in Branson and talk about it. He said, well, can you come back and preach Wednesday night? So this sermon has already been delivered, kind of, uh, to about 150 inmates at Camp C., at Angola Prison in Louisiana. Uh, the interesting part of this is that uh, the sermon began with an interruption when one of the officers came in the back and said, count, which means everybody needs to walk outside and they need to count them to make sure that they got the right number of guys where they're supposed to be. So we hope we won't get interrupted by that today, okay? No count. Well, in the next two weeks, we're going to be looking at our relationship uh, with God in both its vertical, that's up and down, and its horizontal relationship. This week, I have been afforded the opportunity of addressing this vertical relationship, really the first three commandments, how we relate to God, and then Pastor Mark will be back next week. He gets to do, man, a whole ton. He'll have you here until about two in the afternoon to go through commandments four through ten. Now, we're going to get going this morning with an overview of the biblical teaching on the Sabbath. The Sabbath commandment is the third commandment. That's what I'm going to focus on today. It is also the longest commandment as it is recorded in Scripture, and it is the only commandment that's not repeated in the New Testament. I wonder why that could be. Do you think something happened between the Old Testament and the New Testament, other than several hundred years of silence? Well, it is. Well, the the Sabbath commandment is Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, livestock, sojourner. Six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now, there are five things, and you can see them up here, I think, that need some uh, comment. Uh, The first of this is that little word, remembering, remembering. Uh, Israel is to remember the Sabbath, and Sabbath really means to rest. So they're they're supposed to remember about a day of rest. It means don't forget to take a day off. Now, some of you all are retired, and you don't know what that means to take a day off, because they're all days off, so I'm not sure how we're going to fit that in with you. The second thing is to keep it holy. Uh, That Greek word is hagios, and holy uh, really means to be set apart, something that is special. Uh, So specifically, verse 10 says, you need to keep this day holy to the Lord. In other words, you're going to keep a Sabbath holy for the Lord. It's not necessarily for you, although partly it is, but it's mostly to keep it holy for God. In other words, this rest is not supposed to be some sort of an aimless rest, word, but rather, when we take a Sabbath, it ought to be a God-centered rest. I mean, after all, he is the focus. Uh, attention is to be directed to God alone, but you keep a day holy by focusing your attention on a holier God. It also says one out of every seven. Six days you shall labor. It's kind of like a system of you ought to work six days, then you ought to rest one day. Work six days, rest one day. Uh, 
And that's the pattern that's put in the Ten Commandments. And note it doesn't say that the Sabbath day or the rest day must be the last day of the week, Saturday. It doesn't say it should be the first day of the week, Sunday. In fact, it doesn't even tell you which day you should take. In other words, any day could be a Sabbath day for you. See, the concept of weeks is not even mentioned, really, in Scripture. And this command is simply six days you should work, one day you should set aside to focus on a holy God. Now, that fourth thing, I think it says no fudging. Well, what does that mean by no fudging? Well, it's one thing for you to take a day off. It's another thing to make sure that everybody else works to make sure your business stays afloat while you're not working. In other words, you're going to penalize other people so that you can, quote, have a holy day for yourself. Make it a true holy day. Now, God says, if you miss the point, if you're trying to keep your business running by using servants or animals or relatives, so you have to ask yourself, so what's the point of this Sabbath day? And that's really the fifth point up here, and that's God rested after creation. Verse 11 in our text really kind of points to um, God's rest after creation. It said, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Now, these words come from Genesis chapter uh, 2. And maybe you remember this. You, You go back and read the beginning of the Bible. On the seventh day, God did what? He finished his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he'd done. So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it, because on it, God rested from all his work, which he had done in creation. Now, when I read that, I have to ask, you know, do you understand what's going on here? Both Genesis chapter 2 and Exodus chapter 20 say that God blessed the day and that he hallowed a day. Well, we ought to ask ourselves, what does it mean to bless a day? And we say that all the time, you know, God bless you. God bless. Somebody sneezes, God bless you. What does that mean, to bless somebody? Well, I think it means that he was making this day a time of blessing. When God blesses a man, that man or that woman becomes rich with God's blessings. When God blesses the land, he makes that land rich with blessings. And so when he blesses a day, that day also becomes rich with blessings. So what does it mean then that he hallows God's name, his day? Well, again, hallows is that same word as sanctify. We hear sanctification, the process of being made clean. It means that the day was set aside is a holy day and is to focus mainly not on just rest for us, but to hallow it by focusing on everything that is holy, everything about God and his holy works. Now, if you take those two words and you put them together, he blesses the day and he hallows the day. Now, how do those two work together? Well, he made it a source of blessing and he made it to focus on himself. Isn't it obvious that hallowing is included in the blessing and the blessing is included in the hallowing? See, when you hallow God and focus your attention on him, you receive more blessing than if you keep working day after day after day after day. And the reverse is true. When you seek your blessing in God rather than in human labor, you hallow him, you honor him, and the holiness brings greater 
wealth and wisdom in our lives. Now, the reason given in both Genesis 2 and Exodus 20 is because it said God rested from all of his work. Now, the question was, was God tired at the end of six days and just said, well, man, and I'm glad that's over. Let's move on. I think I need a Sabbath. Well, but we know that God didn't need to rest. It just means that he was satisfied with what he'd done. Now, if you've ever completed a big project, sometimes what do you do? You just kind of step back and say, wow, I want to soak this in for a moment. And you can almost imagine God in heaven saying after six days, wow, look at this. i got to just step back for a moment and just rejoice in this day. And I'm going to set aside a day for me just to enjoy creation. Now, the real basis of this is uh, the hallowing and the blessing of the day. What God is then saying to us instead is this. Let my highest creatures, that would be you and me, the one created in my image, they should stop every once in a while and commemorate with me the fact that I'm the creator who made everything that they have. They should stop working and focus on me. I'm the source of everything they have. I'm the fountain of blessing. I made their hands. I made their feet. I made their bodies so that they could actually work. And But let one day out of every seven for them to stop again and say, Wow, Lord, thank you for hallowing and blessing a day and rejoicing in the creation you set before him. See, the beauty of the Sabbath is that God instituted it as a weekly reminder of two different things. One is that all true blessing comes from his grace, not our labor. We don't work to earn this. God gives us this day of blessing. That means that a Sabbath day, I don't know, if you, do you ever raise kids where, what do you mean we have to get up and go to the early service at church tomorrow? It's like, it was a curse to come to worship. No, it's a blessing. You know, get up and let's go. This is going to be a happy day. I tried that on my kids a lot. And a lot of times you still bring kids to church. They're just kind of slumped over. But after a while, when they learn that it's a day of rejoicing and blessing, they begin to understand as well. The other is that we hallow and honor him and we keep the day holy if we seek the fullness of his blessing. Hopefully you're all here today to be blessed by him, not blessed by a song, not blessed necessarily by a sermon, you know, but being blessed by being in the presence of God's people who all desire to say thank you for the many blessings that we have. Now, it would be a mistake to conclude just from those two texts that the only blessings we should focus on during our Sabbath would be the blessings of creation. So we have to kind of turn elsewhere. We have to turn back to Deuteronomy. Uh, Deuteronomy uh, chapter 5 is a second version of the Ten Commandments. It says, You shall remember that you were a servant in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out thence with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So in other words, what he's saying here is the mighty hand and the outstretched arm of God were not weary by creation. It didn't cause him any distress. God's rest was not for recuperation. God's rest was for what we would call exaltation or joy or happiness. It's a time for us to, you know, jolly up and be in the presence of God and thank Him. I always think about a high school student he used to greet me as I'd walk in the hallways back when I was teaching high school, and she'd say, "Good morning, Mr. Cole. How are you?" I'd say, "I'm fine." She said, "You ought to let your face know about it." But she would just say, "If you're good." People ought to be able to tell. They shouldn't have to wonder whether you're happy 
or not. See, the mighty hand, the outstretched arm of God, we're not wearied by creation. We, we're going to enjoy this. So the focus of the Sabbath is on God, not only as the source of creation. I mean, I think about, I hope you don't get used to the view you have from your church. God gave that to you. You ought to stop by every Sunday and go, oh, wow, what a beautiful place. Thank you, Lord. But it's not only the gift of creation, it is also the gift of salvation. You don't come in here because, well, I belong here. You may belong here, but you come at his invitation. It's a a place to come and rejoice again. Uh, Your God, it says, brought you up out of the land of Egypt. He, He delivered you from something. He delivered you from bondage. That's the whole point of confession and forgiveness. And then it says, therefore, therefore what? He commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. That's one day of rest. Out of every seven, holy to the Lord, it reminds us that God is not only our creator, but he's also our deliverer. We didn't make ourselves, we don't sustain ourselves, we don't save ourselves without his grace. If we were going to quote another Bible passage with Psalm 46.10, I think it is, we just need to learn to sometimes just be still and know that he is God. I preached a series of messages a number of years ago called 10 Things Every Christian Should Know. Number one is the most important one. He is God. I am not. You know, that's the best place to start. He is God, and guess what? You're not. You start there, and everything flows from there. Well, the Sabbath is also a sign. If you move a little bit further, Exodus 31 uh, says, And the Lord said to Moses, Say to the people of Israel, You shall keep my Sabbath, for this is a sign between you and me throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, your God, sanctify you. So if we want to call this a Sabbath day, that's fine. It's a sign. It points to the truth that we are to never forget. And the truth is that God, and not ourselves, has sanctified us. He's chosen us. He's set us apart. He worked to make us a distinct people among the peoples of this earth. So in summary, if you were to take three Bible passages so far, Exodus 20, Deuteronomy 15, Exodus 31, What you do, the Sabbath is a way of remembering and expressing the truth that God is our creator, God is our deliverer, and God is our sanctifier. And i got to tell you that no amount of work that you do is going to cause anything to be created of lasting value. Nothing is going to be there that's going to deliver you from the situation that you're in, and nothing you will do work-wise will ever be in the process of sanctifying you. So we need to remember that we take our strength and our thought and our work sometimes a little bit too seriously. We should keep at least that one day every week to remember that it is God who does all of those important things, creating, delivering, sanctifying. Now, a lot of people think the Sabbath is only Old Testament. Now, before we leave the Old Testament, there's one other Bible passage I want to cover that helps us clarify a common misunderstanding I think it's a shame that so many people think or feel the Sabbath day uh, keeping is solely in what we can't do. How many of you were raised in a town that had blue laws? Some of you know what that are. The town I grew up in, which is Seward, Nebraska, Sunday you stayed at home, you messed around because there were no gas stations open, restaurants weren't open, swimming pool wasn't even open on Sunday. 
everything shut down so everybody could kind of focus. Well, we've kind of come from my grandparents' day of a holy day of Sabbath to the Sabbath day to today we just call it the weekend. We've kind of lost that time of setting things apart. And so a lot of people think that the Sabbath is the day you have to give something up. You have to suffer a little bit if you have a really good Sabbath. And I say, no, you don't have to suffer at all. Uh, the Sabbath, the original intention, was good news for us. It wasn't bad news. So let's take a look here at uh, Isaiah. I think it's Isaiah. Um, no, I can go back one. There we go. That's a sign. This is Isaiah 58. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight in the holy day of the Lord, honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride upon the heights of the earth. So God's purpose for the Sabbath day that we take is that we'd experience the highest and the most intense joy that can be experienced, namely that we take delight in the Lord. But what we often find is this, that a lot of professing Christians, I'm going to put that in quote because I, I really sometimes wonder about what goes on in Christianity when I hear some things. They are the kind of people who prefer little human-sized pleasures from things that have no close relationship to God at all. You know, when we could be focusing on the Almighty God, we focus on something very small. So let me put it this way. If you work seven days a week in a hot sun to keep life and limb together with scarcely any time for any leisure or reflection or relaxation, would you consider it a burden if God came to you in all of his omnipotent power and said, I don't want you to have to work so much. I want you to have a day every week to rest and enjoy what really counts in life. I promise to meet your needs in just six days in a week. Now, that's, that wouldn't be a cruel command, would it? I mean, that would be a gracious gift. And, and the reason that many people feel it's a burden, though, is partly that we have so much leisure time. And we don't feel the need for a Sabbath day's rest. Uh, but more important, I think, is the fact that, that maybe way too many people uh, not many people really enjoy what God intended us to enjoy on the Sabbath day, and that is himself. We take the Sabbath to focus on him and not on our needs. So what happens? A lot of people today, and you know, Branson is probably a good example of that. There are probably a lot of church-attending people today in Branson today who are going to spend their Sabbath not focusing on him, but out enjoying themselves. There's nothing wrong with that, but sports and TV and uh, the lake and shows and, you know, God knows what happens in, in Branson. But inevitably, people whose hearts are set more on the pleasure of this world than on the enjoyment of God will feel the Sabbath command more of a burden than a blessing. Well, this is what John said in First John chapter 5, verse 3. From this is the love of, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. A lot of people view all of the Ten Commandments, whether they're vertical or horizontal, as a real burden. It's like, oh man, the Ten Commandments. No, it's like, oh boy, the Ten Commandments. Thank you, God. Thank you for giving me a guideline to show me how to stay happy in this life. See, the measure of your love for God is the measure of the joy you get in focusing on Him 
on your day of rest. Now, when we come over to the New Testament, we've got to take a look at the New Testament because the whole Bible actually connects itself. What happened when Jesus arrives is that the rabbis, the teachers, the uh, people who were responsible for church in those days had added a lot of details to the Sabbath. In fact, they had like 765 laws that had to do with everything from uh, you couldn't slap a bug on your arm, that was work. You couldn't drag an animal out of a hole because that was work. Uh, and so they kind of missed the spirit of all the wonderful things God had designed the Sabbath for. So Jesus slams head on into these traditions with a very different view than the one the Pharisees had. And this is kind of a, a rather long reading here. Uh, it says, at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and they began to pluck ears of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, by the way, he didn't say this in the text, they almost had a heart attack. That's part of the KGB, Cole's General Version of the Bible. They said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Now, I was raised by my grandparents, and we started out on the farm before the tornado destroyed it and moved us into the big city of Seward, Nebraska. But I used to walk through the wheat fields, learn from my grandpa to grab a head off that wheat, and do what? Rub it back and forth between my hands, and then do what? Blow. And all the chaff was gone, and then you pop a handful of wheat. That was considered work by the Pharisees, and considered then to be a violation of Sabbath law. He's, then he, that's Jesus, said to have you not read what David did? In fact, he said, don't you guys know your Old Testament? Come on, guys. When he was hungry, and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of presence. Came up and ate the bread right off the communion table. Hmm. Which it was not lawful for him to do, to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priest. Or have you not read the law of how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? You got pastors who are working on the Sabbath. Don't you know that's wrong? Oh, I'd love to have been around Jesus. I bet I, he just pokes people all the time. And he went on from there and entered their synagogue. And behold, there was a man with a withered hand. And they asked him, now can you believe this? Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? He said to them, what man of you, if he has one sheep and it falls in a pit on the Sabbath, will not lay hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? He said, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Now, I, I read those words and I think, what was wrong with these Pharisees? I mean, why couldn't they see the Old Testament the same way Jesus saw it? Now, part of the answer is, a lot of people don't pay much attention to the Old Testament. I have a friend who told me something one time over breakfast, and I said, you know, that's wrong. And they said, what do you mean it's wrong? I said, they said, it's in the Bible. I said, but no, in the Old Testament it says this. And their response was, well, I don't read the Old Testament. I'm a New Testament person. Well, I got news for you. If you don't understand the Old Testament, you will never completely understand the New Testament at all. They've got to work together. 
So why couldn't they see the Old Testament the way Jesus saw it? Why didn't they see David ate that bread because he was hungry and it was the right thing to do to feed his men? I mean, why, why were that such an indictment about people? Well, according to Jesus, the Pharisees condemned him because they really didn't know uh, a couple of Bible verses. He didn't, they didn't, he didn't really, they didn't really understand Hosea chapter 6. He quotes it in verse 7 when he says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. In other words, the law always is there for the point of mercy. The law is summed up in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The Pharisees could not see the true meaning of the Sabbath because they didn't have hearts of love. They didn't care about people. They only cared about their jobs. And that's why Jesus said the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So if your heart isn't a heart for people, if it is not a heart of love, you will never really understand the meaning of the Sabbath. That's kind of what Jesus is saying. For the Sabbath is a gift of love to meet man's needs, not an oppressive burden to make him miserable or, or, uh, or proud. So Jesus didn't come to do away with the Sabbath. He came to dig it out from under all of this legalistic sediment that had turned a blessing into a burden. He said, no, it's a day for you to show mercy and for doing good. Imagine the mercy and good you could do today. I already did that this morning. I, when I got to the cash register, I stopped at Casey's, grabbed myself a cup of coffee, and I said, by the way, I'll pay for the two people behind me. You know, I just walk away, and one person chased me outside to say, thank you. I said, no problem. People have done it for me before. You ever go through the drive-thru and just pay for the people behind you? I've come through toll booths, and people have already paid for my toll. Show mercy. Show kindness. Show love. Sabbath day is a good day to do it. Tip really big on Sunday <laughs> if you're going to go out for breakfast or lunch afterwards. It, it should not be governed by narrow restrictions of what work is and what it is. It's a day for us to focus on the Lord. And now Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, according to verse 8. So it's a day to focus on him. And it's impossible that a day that is focused on Jesus should be a burden to believing hearts. He said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. And what's he going to do? I'm going to give you a Sabbath. Give you a chance to rest and relax. So we're kind of moving into the early church. The weekly day of rest and devotion was not rejected, but it kind of got changed from Saturday to Sunday. And by the way, this is nowhere commanded in the Bible that we have to have our Sabbath day on a Sunday. But there are two Bible verses I want to point out to you that show, you know, that it happened in the days of the apostles. The first one is Acts chapter 20 verse 7. It says on the first day of the week. Well, what is the first day of the week? By every calendar, it's Sunday. Um, they were gathered together to break bread, probably to have communion. It says Paul talked with them, intending to depart the next day, uh, but he preached well past midnight. Now, that's one long sermon. Shouldn't give Pastor Mark any ideas. So there seems to be kind of a, um, a formal gathering for the Lord's Supper on a Sunday it could have been Saturday that rolled over to a Sunday because Jews kind of count their days slightly different than we do. But the other verse that points in this direction is from 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2. And it says, on the first day of every week, do what? 
put something aside, store it up, as he may prosper, so that contributions need not be made when I come. Now, this is Paul telling the Corinthians, get ready, I'm going to come and take a collection for the mission field. So these are really the only two explicit verses in the entire Bible that relate the Sabbath day to Sunday. There's really no other command. So what is the real reason we celebrate? How did they get moved to Sunday away from Saturday? Well, according to John chapter 20, it is to honor the day that Jesus rose from the dead, is it not? See, just like the work of the first creation was finished on the seventh day of the week, the work of the new creation was completed on the first day of the week. Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians testify to that. So from the very earliest time, Christians, you and I, have been worshiping on the first day of the week. So the, the end of the matter is simply this. Every day for a Christ follower is a Sunday. Every day is. All seven days belong to the Lord. Uh, we're not required to give God one out of seven. Uh, God has made us so that we need a break, a change, a time to enjoy life. I mean, Ecclesiastes says there's a time and a place for everything. Now, sometimes I work so long on a Sunday, and I'm not saying that for you to feel sorry for me, but by the time you get up and you drive to a church and you're around and you preach two or three, sometimes uh, one church I preached at down in Texas, I preached five times on the weekend, Saturday night, four more on Sunday. And by the way, speak to people on satellite from that same church and other churches. And so by the time you get home, I am dead. My wife, if you stick around to Bible class later, you'll meet her. She is She's the extrovert in our family. She's the one who says, can't we put a pot roast and, and invite people over after church? I'm like, oh no, please no. <laughs> I'm done. Now, have I had a Sabbath day's rest yet? Not in the true sense, although I've gotten together and I've loved being together with God's people and rejoiced to be in his presence. But I will also find another time during the week for that Sabbath day's rest where I'll just take my Bible and I'm going to go find a place. I've got a nice coffee shop I enjoy down in Hollister. And I sit there and I continue my read through the Bible. And I read as far as I feel led to. And I stop and I pray and I underline. And then I go sit by Table Rock Lake and hope the ducks and the geese don't come and bother me. I should carry a bag of rocks, I guess, to keep that from happening. <laughs> I go there in the morning, and I enjoy the fog on the lake, and I just think, man, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad. It could be a Wednesday. It could be a Friday. It could be any day. See, that's the abiding, unchanging spirit of the third commandment. There's a time and place for everything, a time and place for your Sabbath. I mean, someone has said it this way, before Jesus... Man worked all week and then rested on Saturday. They worked to earn their rest. Now that Jesus has risen from the dead, we rest on the first day of the week because the work of salvation has been accomplished for us. So Sunday becomes a day of grace for many people. See, we receive that which we do not deserve. I'm reminded of that more and more. Maybe a little bit because I'm getting a little bit older all the time, but man, we have been blessed. We've been blessed way beyond anything that we deserve. And Sundays, if we're going to use this as a Sabbath day, is a day that reminds us that we don't have to work so hard. We don't need to strive to gain acceptance with God. It teaches us that in Jesus Christ, wholly apart from human work, 
We are accepted by God. We are his children. Now, where does that leave us? Well, I would suggest that when you understand what a Sabbath is really about, to take a day apart from God, that day could involve singing. We had some singing earlier this morning. We sing. You know, even the, even the blind gospel singer, Fanny Bryce, could say to sing that song. We can sing anything. Some of you say, well, I don't have a voice. Well, make a joyful noise. That's okay. I actually one time said to a congregation, some guy said, well, I can't sing. I said, maybe you should try because maybe the devil has your vocal cords. <laughs> hmm, test them out. A little lower grunt every once in a while, maybe it wouldn't hurt. Yeah, he's risen from the dead on the first day of the week. The work of salvation has been accomplished. This is a day of joy. Dance. I attended three, three worship services down in prison a week ago. They dance during worship. They don't dance during the sermon, but boy, when, when they're singing, they dance. Grown men, hardened criminals. These guys in prison, by the way, most of them serving life sentences for either murder, habitual crime, or some sort of a sex crime. Who've been saved by Jesus rejoice in just a time to be together. They laugh, they sing, they dance, they play. There's guys in front who are, who are just signing the entire service. There are guys who stand in front up to the side and he just kind of pantomimes what he thinks he's hearing in the songs. It's just really kind of a cool thing. You know, they realize that they are forgiven. I mean, more than once a guy would tell me, I ran away from God my entire life, but when I came to the front gates of Angola, there was Jesus waiting for me. And now I'm forgiven. I mean, why wouldn't I, why wouldn't I be happy? I'm forgiven. Now, you don't need to be forgiven of murder. You can just be forgiven for bad-mouthing your next-door neighbor. Same thing. Eternally celebrating life. Could you play golf to the glory of God? Yeah, if you stop calling the golf ball something other than the golf ball or your club something other than the golf clubs. It teaches us that in Jesus, wholly apart from human worship, we're just totally accepted. What a, what a day to do that. Now, so we need to go from this place and uh, celebrate life today. I don't know what you're going to do. I'm going to take it easy today because on Monday I'm going to take my Sabbath. And I'm going to do what I mostly do. And that is to get back into God's word because that refreshes me. I am going to do coffee shop evangelism where I just sit and listen to people. And if I have a chance, I talk to them about the joy of Jesus. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes it doesn't. I'll go home and I have lunch with my wife and we will pray before we eat. We'll talk about the day. We'll talk about our kids and rejoice in the fact that God blessed us with children and grandchildren. I would just sit back and I'll, I'll, I'll enjoy watching something on television. The Little League World Series, maybe. And reflect back on the days when I played baseball at that age. And think what a blessing it was to be able to do that. And to rejoice with people who get that grand experience too. But just be in the wonder of God. Now you can do that today too. Take a walk, read a book, go by the lake, have a healthy meal. 
Read the Bible, play with your kids, write a letter, call a friend, text somebody. Enjoy the world that God has created. Have a party. Throw a Jesus party in your neighborhood just for no good reason. After all, Jesus lives. We're set free. I think that's what the Sabbath is all about. May God bless us as we continue to pursue and enjoy a Sabbath day's rest. Let's stand now, and we're going to join in confessing in our um, common Christian faith, using the words of...